This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. Joining me today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, who has once again invaded uh, somebody's office. I don't know. That is correct. Scott Carson. I'm in here. Okay. With permission this time. Okay, good. Uh, Just checking, because that's very important to have permission to touch another man's office. Yeah, I'm rearranging his his chair and all the settings on the chair, so he's going to come in here and sit down and feel... Now, does <laughs> totally do, out of place? Should we uh, like out ourselves and say that you had to use his archaeology study Bible to prop up your microphone to get it at a comfortable height? Is that a permissible thing? Yeah, is that like his a- his chair to desk ratio is all <laughs> kinds of off. So I've got my microphone propped up on a, on books and Bibles to try to get it closer to my mouth, so I'm not Quasimodo throughout this whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Oh my goodness! The things that we do for the production of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, it's we'll go, we will stop at nothing. We will, we will leave no stone unturned and no microphone unpropped. That's the, that's what we're saying here. <laughs> so uh, this week we're going to be talking about this week, and actually probably next week we're going to be talking about a story from John chapter four, and this is uh, a story about two different people groups. Um, the Jews and the Samaritans. And folks, if you're like me, you've heard sermons on uh, the Good Samaritan. You know, that's a, a really powerful uh, sermon. It's, it's very, it's something that's moving every time we hear it. But I have to confess to, and I already confessed this to Sam before we started the, the recorders going, that I really didn't know much about the conflict, really, between the Jews and the Samaritans. I knew that there was, that, that these were two people groups that were really, historically, they just did not get along. But it's way more than that. Uh, Sam, why don't we start by maybe, just before we dive into John 4, maybe let's get a little context of the Jews versus the Samaritans and what was going on. When we started talking about where we were going to map out and what our episodes were going to look like, we had John 4, which is going to be the story of the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman who's at the well. And we were going to talk about her redemption and what it looked like and what the aftermath was. And it it kind of flows into some of the revival aspects that we've been talking about. But there's really two different stories going on here with the same woman. You know, there's the there's the individual story where the gospel comes and transforms her and frees her, and it's this really, really beautiful, wonderful picture that we'll talk about next week. Um, but reading the story, like we're talking about, especially with everything going on in the country right now, you know, this is one of those stories where there's some racial animosity and resentment that's buried in the story that has to be overcome. And that's the the animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. And so here you have Jesus, a Jew, along with his apostles, who come and meet this Samaritan. And it's in Samaria. It's in Samaritan territory. And they meet this Samaritan woman at a well. And so it's not just man-woman, and it's not just, you know, two strangers, but there's the, the built-in distrust between Jew and Samaritan. And like you said, there's a long history well, of mutual distrust for like each other. Like hundreds of years. Like, yeah. like 
that that wasn't them. It wasn't their fathers or their fathers. Fa- I mean, this goes back what yeah. seven hundred years or something. Seven hundred like plus years. Yeah. So if you go and the Bible, like we, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't put a spotlight on it and say, "Here, look, you know, look at this hatred that's for- forming." You kind of have to put it together. But when you put it together, it's this story that's woven that's really deep pain. Um, and it, you know, you go back to the prophet Jonah. We all know that story, right? You know, God calls Jonah. Where does he call him to go? He calls him to go to the city of Nineveh. And he wants no part of it. <laughs> he wants no <laughs> Nothing, part of yeah. it. Because the reality is the Assyrian people, they're known, even historians will tell you, the Assyrian people were the world's first terrorists. The way when they invaded a city, they did things to people that were unthinkable. You know, like, you know, cutting – anyway, I won't get <laughs> okay. I won't get into it because I don't who, know who's listening. We'll, but, we'll let that go. Bad things happen when the Assyrians come to town. <laughs> yes, yes, very, very bad. One of the things that the Bible talks about is when they would lead people off into exile, they'd put like big gaff hooks through their cheeks or nose and chain them together and lead them away. So okay. if one ran, <laughs> it's, it's going to hurt all of them. And so when God says, hey, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is capital city of the Assyrians at this time, Jonah's like, those people? I want nothing to do with those people. He says, I won't go. He gets on a boat. He goes in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And God is not going to allow him to get out of this. And so, you know, he, he's thrown overboard into the waters. He's swallowed up by a sea creature, spit out in land after, and Jonah's repenting. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> you and, made your point, God. <laughs> <laughs> and long story short, he goes to Nineveh. He goes in, he preaches a seven-word sermon, and he's angry that he has to be there because he hates these people. And something happens that makes Jonah even angrier. They repent. Hmm. They repent in sackcloth. They they declare that they want to follow the Lord. And you know where Jonah is? You know, for for somebody who loves the gospel, and we think Jonah saved because he writes the book, right? So at some point, something happens here to to where he writes this book. But when revival is going on in the city, and all these people are saying, "We repent," what do we have to do? You know where Jonah is? He's outside the city angry at God, saying, I knew you would be merciful to these people, and I don't want you to be merciful. And what ends up happening in those days, because Jonah, rather than seeking reconciliation and building these two people together when they had ears to hear, he sits outside and shuts his mouth, that revival withers away. And Jonah is probably around 770 B.C., so 770 years before Jesus. And about 50 years after Jonah... These Assyrians who did who, the faith didn't stick; it withered. They didn't have anybody to disciple them, anybody who was willing to pour love into them, because Jonah hated them. The Israelites hated them. The Assyrian that little revival, that moment of repentance, withers away. And in 722, those same Assyrians, the children or grandchildren of those Assyrians, invade Israel, mm-hmm. and Jonah's grandchildren are going to be slaughtered by those very Assyrians. They conquer the ten northern tribes of Israel, they lead them off into exile, and they take all of the people from the Assyrian lands of the Assyrian Empire, and they send a whole bunch of people to the lands of Israel, of what will be called Samaria, and where these ten tribes were, and they begin to interbreed with the people that were left there that were the Jews. And so, if you were the Jews of Galilee, or if you were the Jews of Judea, you look at the Jews of Samaria, which are now Samaritans. These are the half-breeds that have come from the Assyrians and the Jews that were left there. 
and the 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 pure blood juice, which there really were no pure blood juice. <laughs> that's the that's an ironic thing, isn't it? It it's really like, is. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're anyway. They look down their nose at these Samaritans and they begin to hate them. They call them half breeds and racial dogs and and with time. What happens, these Samaritans were considered lesser than. They were uneducated. Uh, they're, you, know, they, you just look at them with like a, ugh, the Samaritans. There's an apocryphal book that's in you know, the Catholic scriptures, the book of Sirach. Uh, it's not in the Protestant Bible. We, we don't think it's inspired, but there's a Jewish scribe named Ben Sirah, and he writes this. And just to give you an idea, he says, Two nations my soul detests, and the third is not even a people. Those who live in Seir and the Philistines, and then the third, the ones that are not even a people, are those fools who live in Shechem, the Samaritans. Um, and so you get this sense that just total contempt toward the Samaritans. Mm. They were seen as dangerous. There was uh, they, All their towns had a reputation for harboring criminals and outlaws, and so you were scared of them mm-hmm. um, back in those days. And so all that started, like you said, more than 700 years before Jesus is born, this starts. This kind of continued on then for hundreds of years, during which time – Everything wasn't necessarily great with the Jews either, right? Yeah, no. So in 722, the Assyrians come and they take out the the 10 northern tribes. There's right. 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 tribes are, of the north are conquered by the Assyrians in 722. Well, 140 years later, in 586, the two southern remaining tribes, Benjamin and Judah, are going to be conquered by Babylon. And so Babylon comes in under Nebuchadnezzar, and they destroy everything. And Jerusalem, they they tear down the walls, they burn down the buildings, the temples destroyed and burned to the ground, and people like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and these prophets that you've probably heard of are taken away into exile to the farthest lands over in Babylon, mm-hmm. which would be like modern day Iraq. Okay, and it looks like God's story with Israel is absolutely over, except in seventy years or less than seventy years, the Persians conquer the Babylonians. So this is how crazy the world is back then. <laughs> And the Persian king Cyrus is like, hey, I got nothing against the Jews. If you want to go home, go home. You know, we'll help you. You know, here's some resources. Go, go rebuild your temple. And so exactly 70 years after Jerusalem's destroyed, there's a contingent that goes back to build the temple. And this is one of the really sad parts of the story between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because when, when the Jews get there, there's a, a group of Samaritans that are rejoicing and celebrating the fact that the Jews have returned home. And if you read in the book of, of Ezra, in chapter 4, you'll see this, that the Samaritans come out and they say, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And you're thinking, oh man, this is great, you know, what an opportunity for reconciliation. But that generational hatred toward the Samaritans is still, da- still there, and the leading officials of Israel say, you, this is a direct quote, Ezra 4.2, says, you have nothing to do with us. And building a house to our God, but we alone will build it to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so they send the Samaritans away and say, we want no part of you. And of course, it doesn't go the, well. Yeah, the Samar- yeah. That, that begins, that really seals the deal. And the Samaritans kind of go in their own direction with absolute contempt to the Israelites. And they are going to, they oppose the building of the temple. They, they seek to make the Jews afraid to build. When Nehemiah comes in 445 BC and he begins to build the walls around Jerusalem, guess who it is? It's Sanballat the Samaritan. 
that comes out and seeks to fight against Jerusalem. Doesn't he want the walls built? And all because they've rejected one another. And it's just, it's, it's grown and grown and snowballed out of control to where they absolutely despise one another. And so we're still four centuries away from Jesus at this point. And things didn't get any better, right? I mean, they, they, once they decided to, to split at that point, like, you're not going to let us build your temple, was that the point that the Samaritans then said, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to do our own thing. We're going to worship mm-hmm. in our own temple. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, that's exactly what happens. So they're dismissed from Jerusalem. It's like, hey, we don't, we don't want you with us. You know, you can't participate in building our temple. And so what the Samaritans do um, is they go up to Mount Gerizim, which is near the – town of Shechem in their territory, and mm-hmm. they, they build a temple that they you know will claim is where God's favor rests at, on Mount Gerizim. And so if you remember in the Old Testament, not to get too far into the weeds here, but if you read Genesis 22, there's the story where Abraham is asked to offer up Isaac, and God stops him, and, and on that mountain, on Mount Moriah, God promises Abraham that he will provide the lamb. Mm-hmm. You know, he is going to provide the lamb of sacrifice. And so it's a promise of, for the Savior of the world. Jesus is going to be that lamb. Mm-hmm. And so Mount Moriah becomes this really, really sacred place. Well, for the Jews, and for most everybody agrees on this, Moriah is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's where Solomon built the original temple. Mm-hmm. But the the Samaritans say, no, 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 that's not it. It's Gerizim. It's in our land. And if if you're a real Samaritan, if you're for us, you have to worship here on at our temple on Mount Gerizim, not the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so that was the test of loyalty. If you worshipped in Jerusalem, you were not welcome to the Samaritans. And if you worshipped at Gerizim, you were not welcome to the Jews. And the the you were you were talking about this before we we pressed record. But the Samaritans even wrote an edited version of the Torah for themselves, and you were, you were pointing out that there's a difference in the Ten Commandments, Yeah, the, actually. Ten, the Tenth Commandment talked about where they're supposed to build the temple, and it says you're supposed to build it on Mount Gerizim. So they're like, they codified <laughs> it. They said, okay, folks, you know, the, you know here's the, the, the law, the Tenth Commandment. It's a little different than what you remember. It's going to tell you that we're right, and, you know, they should have been, to some extent, they should have been one people, because like you say, there was mm-hmm. no such thing really as a purebred Jew. Yeah. Um, I mean, David's line, King David, who who they would have held up as like, you know, our our wonderful king, has so many Gentiles, non-Jews. He's nowhere near this pure-blood Jew that they pretended like they were. That just didn't exist. And yet that becomes the dividing point. And it's, it's a tragedy that it happened. Yeah. And then – once we start to get a little closer to Jesus's time, there's some there's some escalation of that. Uh, I, I guess at some point it kind of turned into a kind of a shooting war, didn't it? <laughs> it's like it went it went beyond you know. Well, we're going to go over here and play with our temple while you play with your temple, but then it actually did break out into open hostility. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and so, but one of the things that you can pick up in this is if you're if you're a Jew. So, I mean, Christians, we do this. You know, if somebody's got perverted theology mm-hmm. or whatever, there's animosity. So you've they've gone and built this temple on Gerizim. They've altered the Torah. They're doing you know different things in their worship. And so, what happened is the Jews are enraged that the Samaritans are perverting their heritage because they're doing like. The Samaritans are doing everything almost exactly like the Jews are doing, but like left-handed. It's just a little bit different, and the Jews are like, you're perverting what's sacred, and you know we should have this shared heritage. But here's the deal. 
the Samaritans could never share in that heritage. They tried to, and they were rejected, and they were never, ever wanted or embraced by the Jews of Jerusalem. And so the, when you're talking about shooting matches, you know, they have found mass graves with governor's seals in the territory of Samaria where there was a lot of, of death going on. And mm-hmm. you get closer to Jesus in 128 BC, one of the most famous, and it's going to be it's going to be important for the story that we're in today, because with the woman at the well, where she's gathering up this water, which this well is still there to this day, it's at the foot of Mount Gerizim. And so in 128, Jerusalem's high priest, a guy by the name of John Harkanus, he leads a military campaign. He's so furious with the Samaritans. They go to Mount Gerizim, and they burn this temple to the ground. And so you got to imagine, that was the distinctive. Like you're talking about the Ten Commandments for the Samaritans was, this is where our temple is. And now it's gone. It's burned to the ground. And so all they do, all they can do, all they have power to do is to retaliate with, you know, random acts of violence or protests. And like there's this really famous example that happens when Jesus is a small boy. He probably would have been six or seven at the time where a a group of Samaritans get into the temple complex and they start scattering the bones of dead men Mm. um, all around the temple complex. Well, what does that do? Well, according to the the Jewish faith, that that makes everything unclean. You can't worship. It defiles the worship. And so then what do the Jews do? Well, predictably, (laughs) the Jews say, all right, no more Samaritans in the temple gates at all. They can't even come into the temple complex. So Samaritans are absolutely banned. And this is this is the this is the culture that Jesus is born in, and they absolutely hate one another. You know, it's interesting to me also when we talk about what happened here. I, the first thing that occurs to me when I hear that story about uh, John Hercinus uh, burning down their temple mm-hmm. is that what he was doing essentially was saying, "You're not fit to worship our God." Mm-hmm. You know, your God is a false god. In that time, in the in the ancient world back then. Who you worshipped, the God that you pledged to, whether we're talking about you know Yahweh or mm-hmm. with the Jews. Which, by or, the way, the Samaritans would absolutely say they worship Yahweh. Yeah, they would. Like you say, they're the, it's like the left-handed. It's like one of those Star Trek episodes where you have the mirror universe where everything looks the same, but it's not really. <laughs> Spock's got a beard, you know, that kind of thing. Or Bizarro Superman, one of those comics. You know, it's like it's a mm-hmm. different world that kind of looks the same, but it's not. But it's the, it's the pain that drove them into these stretches yeah. you know oh yeah it's it's on mount gerizim well they went there because mm-hmm. they weren't welcomed in jerusalem and then the jews came and burned down the temple mm-hmm. on mount gerizim so not you can't they can't even have that you know yeah. the difficult part about this i asked at the beginning before again before we turn recording on we have to record those pre-recording recordings or something i don't know <laughs> <clears throat> but uh you know i i found myself asking you how would they have known you know because to me i'm thinking they probably looked very much like each other. You know, they, if, if I was a Jew, would I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to spot a Samaritan necessarily. Maybe there's a, a, a you know, a way that they dressed or a way that they sounded or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I find myself wondering, you know, to continue to identify with their group was a choice to some mm-hmm. extent. You know, the Jews were like, yes, I'm a Jew. And the Samaritans would have also then been, yes, and I'm a Samaritan. You know, there was a, mm-hmm. there was a certain amount of tribalism going on there. Not just, it wasn't just the case of, you know, one group oppressing another group, 
but it was a case where these two groups of people really you know grabbed onto their identity and used that uh, as you know this is my tribe and i am not of your tribe and so this was a war that was just going to continue no matter what mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. and and every act that was done against the other side just inflamed and deepened it and deepened it and it just became to where they they avoided each other's company entirely yeah and we talked about uh or we I guess we haven't talked about it yet, but we did talk about bef- again before we got started. But let's bring it up now, which is the fact that um, that history is part of why the parable of the Good Samaritan that's told in Luke was so shocking. When Jesus told that parable to his own people to rebuke them for being indifferent towards suffering, to say that, hey, the Samaritan did it. That was really like, you know, he was he was definitely kicking sand in the in the bully's face or something there. I mean, Jesus was was knew exactly what he was getting after. Yeah, it's and one of the things that makes this um, so powerful to me and, you know, none of Jesus's words when he gets into this parable are wasted. But he sees he begins that by saying a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means he's coming. This is the road that worshipers would have traveled, right? So mm-hmm. here's the reason why he's likely traveling from from Jerusalem to Jericho is he is on his way to go to the east side of the Jordan River so that he can go back home and avoid going through Samaria. So here's somebody who's on his way back home. And back then, you didn't go through Samaria. It was dangerous. You didn't want to deal with Samaritans. And so they they had the Jericho Road, right, where people came down from Galilee on the east side of the Jordan River, and they hit Jericho and came up the Jericho Road, and so they avoided Samaria altogether. And so here's a man who's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, likely, probably avoiding Samaria, and he falls among robbers. So Mm -hmm. this guy is avoiding Samaria. Now, I can't prove that, but that's the way my guess is here. Yeah, it seems reasonable. And so he falls among robbers, and they strip him and beat him, and then they depart, and they leave him half dead. And so then it talks about how a priest goes by and a Levite goes by. All these people that are supposed to be you know, these good Jews, they pass by. They can't be bothered. They go to the other side. They don't want to be caught up on it. But a Samaritan, as he's journeying, journeying and you have to stop here, why is the Samaritan there? Why is that's a good why, question? Why is the Samaritan there? <laughs> yeah, he he's down in Judea. Like, what what is he doing there? And where's he coming from? And you got with the question that is, if this policy where Samaritans were not allowed into the temple is still in place in Jesus's day, and all the evidence I can find show that it was, here's a Samaritan who's also returning from worship. Except, what was his experience? He was cast away. He was not allowed in. Mm. You know, this racism and all this feud has sent him away, and yet he sees this guy who's on his way home and who's avoiding going through Samaria, and he comes to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The the, the Samaritan went up and bound his wounds and poured oil and wine on him and, and, and set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And it says the next day he took out two denarii and gave, which is money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back." And so Jesus is saying, "Okay, you had the the two good Jews who walked by and just ignored the suffering, but you have the Samaritan who's probably experienced nothing but rejection in the time he's been here, who on in his own cost has loved one of 
you know, the Jewish people. Mm. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And of course, the Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, it's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, "Okay, well then you go and you do likewise." And and the message is, it doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. When you see somebody who's down and out, when you see somebody who's who's wounded or injured or suffering, it is your job as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of God, to disadvantage yourself, just like that Samaritan did, right. to advantage those who are hurting. Yeah. And so that would have been wildly controversial. He's talking about a priest who did the wrong thing. A Levite, which is the teachers of the law, did the wrong thing. And a Samaritan, who's likely just been rejected from worship, did the right thing. Mm. And it, that would have been super scandalous. Like, can't overstate that one. And so that brings us to the story for today, which actually is, I mean, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan was a parable. I mean, Jesus... it. I mean, I don't think it actually happened. He was telling them a story for an illustration. But in John chapter 4, Jesus is doing an interesting thing here. Because like you were saying, a Jewish person would would not go into Samaria. That was like Mm -hmm. just... You didn't go there, or if you went there, you went there in force and only in the daytime. You know, <laughs> It's not a good yeah. idea to be hanging around in Samaria if you are a Jew. Um, mm-hmm. But Jesus actually decides to go there. Mm-hmm. So should we just pick up here in, in John 4? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisee had heard, that the Pharisees, I'm sorry, had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. He -hmm. left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And then this was a a verse that struck me, but he needed to go Mm -hmm. through Samaria. Yeah. And I thought to myself, needed. Now, was Samaria was like the shortcut, right? Like going through Samaria to wherever he was going. Mm Mm-hmm. Would have been a shortcut, um, so, but it, it, but he said he needed to go through Samaria. So this was like he was seeking mm-hmm. the Samaritan woman. So so just so you can imagine Israel, let me just paint a quick map so okay. you understand it. So if you go to the west, you run into the Mediterranean Sea. If you go to the east, you run into the Jordan River. Uh, you know that runs between the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. Okay. At the, so the land in between those two bodies of water, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, this is a little bit more simplistic, but just so you understand, Judea is at the south. That's where Jerusalem is. If you go north, you run into Samaria. If you keep going north, you run into Galilee. And so th- when the Jews would leave Galilee to come to the feasts, so three times a year they had to make the travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, but every time they did that, they would go out of their way to go over to what was called the Transjordan in the land of Perea, which is on the east side of the Jordan, and they would circumvent. They would go around Samaria because it was too dangerous, and we don't want to deal with those Samaritans. And so they would go out of their way. Jews just didn't go through Samaria. It was dangerous. And so when Jesus says that he had a need to pass through Samaria, it's like (laughs) there must have been something important because Jews just didn't do that. In the first century, you didn't. It's not like they, it's not like you hopped in your SUV and drove across the bridge 
right. over the River Jordan. Um, the, the Jordan River was a was a, a kind of a big deal. It was a mm-hmm. you know fairly good sized river, and so crossing that would have been a difficult thing in itself. And then traveling down, and then you cross it at back parts. again. Yeah, at parts. You you go today, and the irrigation has brought the Jordan down to where it's not a very big river at all. There's parts of it they're like that's it, you know. <laughs> but back then it would have been a much bigger river. Right. Now they irrigate out, but you're, you're right. And so to go through Samaria that would make sense. It's the shortest distance between right. two point points. If you're going back to Galilee, the straight line would be through Samaria. But nobody wanted to do that. And yet Jesus had he said he had a need to go through Samaria. So then, yeah. Uh, and so you he, know what that need is. To meet this woman. That's right. Yeah. And think about how cool that is. You know, he knows that there's a a Samaritan woman who's going to be at this well, days away from that point, and he sets on a mission knowing he's going to meet her. That's the need. Mm -hmm. And so he's anticipating days in advance that there's going to be a woman who needs living water, Mm -hmm. and he sets out for her. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Um, that's kind of a, that also is kind of a, of a big deal. Jacob's mm-hmm. well, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. like, it was like, a, that's like an important thing in a lot of old Testament uh, stories. And, and what that was an important well is what I'm getting at, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't a big well. Cause you sent me a video yeah. of the actual well. And With it's Morgan Hendricks drawing water. Drawing Morgan water Hendricks was the, she's the woman at the well. So despite the fact that this was a very important well to a lot of stories, um, it, it wasn't like a huge thing. It's a no. f- fairly, fairly small well, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of interesting to me, just the standpoint that in my mind's eye, when I've thought about, um, you know, the Jacob's well, I've always thought about that as being some dramatic, you know, big uh cistern cistern huge <laughs> and it's like it's this little hole in the ground with a bucket yeah, um, maybe two two feet diameter maybe yeah so it's this it's a relatively small thing yet it was of great importance you know um mm-hmm. it says jesus therefore being wearied from his journey uh which is kind of cool because one of the things that we sometimes forget jesus was fully human you know he was he he'd walked a long way he was tired you know it's like so there are times when you wonder does Jesus know how we feel when we're tired, when we've come to the end of our rope? And the answer to the question is, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he allowed himself to experience those things. So then it says he sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour because... Well, actually, like the sixth... So they, the, the Jews would start their day from six o'clock in the morning. And so the sixth hour... It was like noon, right? Noon. Okay. It's the hottest part of the day. Yeah. And that's generally the way that I've heard people teach this passage is that's actually when when nobody goes out because it's too hot. They do. They get all their water. They draw their water in the morning or the night when the sun's not at the hottest point. But the fact that this woman goes out there at midday at noon reveals that she does not want to be around people. Hmm. She's She's got some kind of a shameful thing where she's deliberately being – she's inconveniencing herself for the sake of not having to be confronted by people. Um, and I think that's right. You know, she's out there suffering and sweating and everything else because she does not want to be shamed. And then this Jewish guy speaks to her, which is mm-hmm. – um, it's kind of an interesting thing in that that's not the that's not the thing you would expect a Jewish man to do would be to speak <laughs> to a Samaritan woman. Uh, just even doing that would be something he'd be essentially. I want to say he would be sort of abasing himself, wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's oh, like he's, this. 
He's lowering, in terms of the eyes of other Jewish men, Jesus at that point was lowering himself. Big time. Yeah. So, so number one, it was, it was seen as a little scandalous, like pretty scandalous for a Jewish man to teach Jewish women that he knew. But to speak to a stranger, whoa. You know, to speak to a stranger woman that you don't know and that, as we're going to find out, has a scandalous history. And, oh, by the way, she's a Samaritan. This would have been like triple deck taboo, and Jesus doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So she she's come out to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Um, then the woman, oh, that line is, I can't let it go. Okay. That's, you, you have things to say. Sometimes I have questions, and sometimes you have observations. So It's, it's just, and, and so this is going to be where it's tricky to do two parts to this episode, but that give me a drink when she says you know that this is jacob's well and he says give me a drink from the well you know for somebody who knows the story of old testament all these guys and i think we may have mentioned this in a previous episode but there's so many stories where people find their wives at wells Mm. um so isaac isaac's wife when abraham sends out the servant he goes and finds isaac's wife rebecca where at a well. Jacob is going to find the love of his life, Rachel, at a well. And by the way, do you know what, what? how he proves his love for her? There's nobody strong enough to roll the stone away from the mouth of the well. And so Jacob's going to roll the stone away from the well, and then he kisses Rachel. It's a weird story. <laughs> um, and he starts crying. It's really weird. But anyway, but Jacob finds his wife at a well. Moses is going to find his wife at a well. And so as you, all these major characters are finding their wives at a well. So Wells were the first century match.com. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so here Jesus meets this woman at a well. That's not an accident. He was seeking a bride also. That's correct. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Jesus was never going to take a wife. Jesus was never on the dating scene. No. But just, just like you said, you know, back in the day, Wells were seen as kind of the match.com. So now add all those taboos. And now he's talking to this Samaritan adulterous woman at a well. And that was like, her that was her response too. She, you're like, she Whoa. Knew that. yeah, are you sure that's okay? Yeah. <laughs> she says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then it throws in for those of us that haven't been following Pastor Sam's explanation of the Jews and Samaritans history, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, John just sort of threw that in for people. And here's an interesting thing that I, I, you have to think about stuff like this just a little bit, which is John wrote his gospel, uh, you know, back in probably toward the end of the first century time frame. Um, it was one of the later gospels written. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the latest for sure. The right, latest, the latest. So the thing is, is that, uh, everybody, that he that what he would have written it for back then would have known that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So mm-hmm. this was something that the Holy Spirit nudged John and had him put in there just for us so that we could understand that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And so rather than jumping into verse 10, which I want to hold off uh, until next week, let's let's skip down to 19 because this deals with who she is as a Samaritan, and this is where I want to focus this week. So Jesus has come to her, and he's basically expressed, you know, that he knows who she is, that he's seeking after her, that he knows all about her. And the woman says to him, because she's a Samaritan, remember, and she can't believe 
that salvation or a Jew's love could ever come to her. Right. And it says, the woman said to him, sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she's about to say, so what I'm going to help you with, in verse 20, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Remember, she's at the foot of Mount Gerizim, and, and that statement is so loaded with pain because you notice she says, our fathers worshipped. This is past tense. Why is it past tense? You because you down, yeah. people burned our temple down. Yeah. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so this is it. Like this gets down to the identifier. It's like which mountain is it? Is it the Jews' mountain or is it the Samaritans' mountain? Like which which side are you on, Jesus? Yeah. And, and Jesus, you go ahead. Well, I said before we move past this, when she says to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." I mean. I'm thinking to myself as I as I read that I'm thinking okay she recognizes that mm-hmm. this guy is just not he's not just a guy mm-hmm. he has demonstrated supernatural knowledge to her we'll mm-hmm. we'll tell the story of what he did next week but mm-hmm. she he she is convinced that this guy has a direct pipeline to God and I'm thinking if I met somebody like that if you for example came up to me and told and said something like you know Mark God told me, and then you reveal the deepest, darkest secret that I've never shared with anybody. You tell me what God told you, and all of a sudden, I know you've got a direct pipeline to and from God. The first question I ask you is not going to be a, a technical question. It's like, I've got all these questions. Asked. This had to have been the most important thing that she wanted to ask God. It's like mm. she realized that the guy in front of her was speaking words of God to her that was like this was a pipeline this was her chance to settle this and talk to God about it and so the very first thing not anything about her personally but it was about her people in other words she identified so much with the Samaritan people that the first pain that she wanted to talk to God about was the pain of our fathers worshiped on this mountain until you burned it all down that's really good. Um, it is. That was the. That was on the tip of her tongue. It's like I'm standing before God, and the first thing on my thought is the pain of my people. Hmm. You know, and and Jesus's response is, you know, when when we come with our mountains, right? You know, mm-hmm. where where we are, Jesus. Jesus's response, and and I love this because it's pointing toward a truth that's really powerful. He says, "Woman, believe me." The hour. Now, every time in the Gospel of John that Jesus points to, quote, the hour, he's always referring to his death on the cross. Mm. You know, my hour has not yet come. It's, you know, the hour of my glory has now come. Like, he's always talking about the cross. And he says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Gerizim, or in Jerusalem, you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvations from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And what what he, what Jesus is saying to this woman is, it's not about you seeking the correct mountain. The more beautiful reality is here is God in the flesh standing in front of her, and he is seeking her. It's not about which mountain you go to, because the God of all mountains is pursuing you right in front of your face. Hmm. And what Jesus will do when he talks about that hour when he is crucified on Mount Calvary, another mountain, you know what happens? It's not about the temple on Gerizim anymore, and it's not about the temple in Jerusalem. 
this woman becomes the very temple of God. She becomes the temple of God. She's called to worship in spirit and truth. And so the gospel eliminates the mountains. It's not about Gerizim or Jerusalem anymore because you, how much more precious could he have made this woman to make her the very temple of God? And it's, it's no longer, hey, you're off limits because of who you are or which mountain you worship on. No, God could not dwell more intimately with you. And it just exalts her value. It's really wonderful. Mm. And then he tells her that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Mm. What um, what part of God being a spirit would have been news there? <laughs> you know, I, I, I because I've always read that statement because I've read this story before, and I've read that statement, and it's like God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I'm like, when would God have not been a spirit? You know, it's like I I don't. What was Jesus getting at there? Why was he t- Why was he saying God is a spirit? What did she think God wasn't a spirit? Yeah, I don't know. I've never really considered that, but I can wing an answer. Okay, um, no, take a shot at it because I have you know, questions. I think, <laughs> I, I think like my first answer would be both sides are so caught up in what they can see. They're so caught up in stone and mortar and bricks and mountains and, you know, territories and land and, you know, all the things that they can see and touch and grasp. And and what he's saying is God is beyond that. Like, he's bigger than that. He's not contained by that. And Mm. so don't let that restrain you. Like, he's a spirit. He's beyond all this. And so when you come and worship, be free of all that. God is not a place. And truth, yeah, he's not a place. Yeah, you know, they're they're very because, concerned about because they would go to meet God, you know, in mm-hmm. the temple, and I think that what maybe what he's getting at there is saying that you know God's not confined to the temple anymore. You mm-hmm. don't have to go to the which, temple. by the way, they were not allowed to go to that <laughs> they <weren't> physical right. <laughs> temple, and so he's saying, hey, God is spirit, yeah, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about what mountain you're standing on. I've always perceived her next statement, the, uh, you know, because we, we, one of the things he said is you worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So he's talking about what she doesn't know and what the Jews know. And her next answer sounds to me just a little petulant. She (laughs) says, I know that Messiah is coming and, you know, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's like, so that was yeah. you know i mean i kind of get a little bit of petulance in there like yeah. she's she's That's telling, like i i hear you but i'm gonna wait until i hear this from the messiah yeah i know i know messiah's coming <laughs> that's what i know i know that you know and then and then the bombshell yeah jesus pulls her up short he says i who speak to you am he that you know because again she knows this is a man of god she's she understands that this is not just some regular dude um i i kind of wonder well, and we'll, we will maybe get into that more next week as to what her reaction was at that point. But I do have to think that that was probably a moment when she realized that everything that, that all, you know, I, I was talking before about the, you know, the pain of her people being uppermost in her mind. They were looking for God's Messiah also, just like the Jews were. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, she had to st- it had to be this moment where she thought, is this all really now coming to an end? Is, is my pain at an end? 
you know, I've, I, I have believed, I have hoped, I've known that, that God is going to send us his Messiah, and the Messiah is going to settle all of this. He's going to settle all the pain. And the way that the Messiah settles it may not quite be what she was expecting, but still, I think at that moment, she had to realize that this is the moment when all of the pain is going to be settled. All of the mm-hmm. conflict is going to be settled. Um, and I guess we, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to, we can't end on that. We have to kind of go a little yeah. bit further, but um, do you think that you know, was like the, a reality to her that that was the, you know, the beautiful thing about this is I, is I think, you know, this, this pain, the Samaritan kind of rejection where they say, you know, are you've, you've rejected us. You've, you've said you don't want us. So we're going to go build our own temple. Right. Right. What I love about this is there's no man that can celebrate that they're to they have a claim on redeeming this Samaritan story. Because what Jesus is going to do, it's not the Samaritans who build the greater temple, and it's not the Jews who build the greater temple, but it's God himself in the flesh, through what he does on the cross, he's going to build the temple. And it's a gift from God to all races of the world that no one can stand and say, this is our temple anymore. Because God himself is the temple, and once we've been purged of sin, forgiven of sin, cleansed of sin, and we wear his righteousness and we're made the temple, we have absolutely no basis for saying, I built this. You have to come to it with humility. And so the very first thing, the the pains that came when the Jews told the Samaritans, you can't help us in building the temple, now Jesus is taking away anyone's right to boast and the banner that they walk under. It's hmm. all by his goodness. Hmm. And so, you know, when <laughs> this is, we're, we're going to talk about one more uh, passage real quick because, you know, when, when we're talking about racial reconciliation, we come to this and we think, well, let's just do that. Like, just make that happen again. Can we do that now? Because we, we live in a, we live in a culture where not everything aligns in the stories and the, you know, that we've been talking about. But man, there's so much pain. Just heal it. Like, can you heal it? And so what we want is this this kind of a fix where, you know, this woman we're going to talk about next week goes back into her town and the whole town comes out and celebrates and worships Jesus. And you think, oh, man, I, I'd love to see that, you know, Jews and Gentiles and some Jews and Samaritans coming together in love and celebration. But that's not always our story, you know. And I love that Jesus gives us the other picture of this, and it's in, in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. There's a story where, again, Jesus is taking his disciples, and he's traveling through Samaria. He doesn't allow them to just close their eyes to, to the suffering, to the other, the other people's experience. But he takes them through, you know. He wants them to see and to serve and to love, you know, these Samaritans and to not let this racial division deepen and get worse. And so it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face as Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And so he sends messengers ahead of him, presumably the apostles, and they go and they enter the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. And get this. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So this is the idea. You get a couple of Jewish guys who come in and say, hey, you know, the teacher, the Messiah, you know, he's coming into town. Make ready. You know, he's, you know, Jewish and whatever. And they like, he's going to Jerusalem, huh? Well, if he's not Gerizim, he's not one of us. You're not welcome here. And so the Samaritans no, you know, Jesus is coming into town. He's coming with a message of love. The only human being in the history of humanity 
who had pure motives all the time, is rejected because his face was set toward Jerusalem because mm-hmm. he's a Jew and his people had done great harm to the Samaritans and so he's rejected. And I love because I can relate to this. I shouldn't admit that probably, but I do. And verse 54, it says, And when his disciples James and John, and this is the same John, by the way, who writes the story of the woman at the well. When James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven to consume them? They're so angry, like, how dare you reject our advances to love you and to let the Savior of the world come into your town? This is the Messiah. Don't you know who he is? Do you want us to just consume them? Because that's like when we don't get immediate healing to racial issues, we get angry. It's like, you know, if one side doesn't, you know, embrace us when we make an advance, we get angry. And then it's we just go back to our trenches and we get, you know, and what does Jesus do? Jesus does not. He does not rebuke the Samaritans. He doesn't speak harshly of them. He actually protects them, even though they've said, you're not welcome here. Mm. And verse 55 says, he turned and rebuked his disciples. Why? Because what they're doing, and this is, this is hard. This is hard to hear. This makes some people really frustrated. But what the disciples wanted, what they expected, what they demanded was that seven-plus centuries of pain and built mutual distrust and animosity that should all be solved in a moment, and they're angry when their offer is rejected, and Jesus protects the Samaritans here and says, you can't expect this to happen in a moment. And I love what he does next. It says, and they went on to another village. They just press on to the next opportunity to love these Samaritans. And this, you know, what I love that happens with this story, um, and, you know, when we get into the book of Acts, and I'll try to, <laughs> to sum this up, but when you get to the book of Acts, one of Jesus' most famous commands uh, comes right before he is going to be taken up right before he ascends into heaven. And he gives his disciples a command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is what he says. And I've always just kind of read this, you know, without really stopping and thinking about what he says. But he's about to leave. Ten days later, they're going to get the spirit of on Pentecost. And he says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I've always like I've always just read that, but why does he include Samaria? Like there's tons of, there's other territories around Judea, it could have been Perea, it could have been Galilee, it could have been Phoenicia or Idumea, like but he throws Judea and Samaria. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Mm. And in Judea and Samaria, in other words, the work's not finished and you're not allowed anymore to see this gospel as the property of Judea. Or Samaria, hmm. and then go to the ends of the earth. But you may not. When I'm when I leave you with the power of the gospel, I want you going into Samaria. And you know what happens in Acts chapter eight? It's one of the, my favorite stories. You get this this disciple Philip, who's not one of the original apostles, but he's this you know. Inc- I don't think so. But no. anyway, he's not one of the original apostles, but. He's, he goes in, and he's just on fire, and he's an evangelist, and he goes into the Samaritan town, 
And it says they accepted the word of God, and they embraced Jesus as Messiah, and there's great joy in the city. And news comes to the apostles. I love this. News comes to the apostles, and Peter and John are like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, revivals breaking out in Samaria? Wait, wait let's, do, let's do a test here. They, <laughs> they got on a boat and sailed in the other direction, and God sent a big fish <laughs> to swallow them, and they got spit out on a beach? Yeah, no. No? Okay, they did it a different way than Jonah did. <laughs> <laughs> they were delighted, and they race. And by the way, I think it's kind of interesting that it's Peter and John who kind of race to go check on it because when's the last time you remember Peter and John racing to go check on something? Uh, the tomb, right? Yeah, the, the empty the tomb. tomb. Sure. The empty tomb. And so here, yeah. like, here's Peter and John. In other words, the, the scriptures are inviting you to see there's a resurrection. There's This is a huge reason for rejoicing. And when they get there, they, they see the conversions, but they recognize that the Spirit has not fallen on the Samaritans like it fell on them at Pentecost. And so you know what happens? Like it fell on the Jews. Like it Pentecost. fell on the Jews that's, at That's interesting. Again, that the, the, the spirit had fallen on them. Yeah. Right. And, and so this is the cool part. You have Peter and John. Remember, John is one of the people who wanted to call down fire from heaven right. when they were rejected in the town. And he's so angry at the Samaritans. Now, what does he do? It, the, Acts chapter 8 says that the apostle John lays his hands on the Samaritans and prays for God to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit comes down, and they receive the Spirit. And so, do you do you hear what the gospel's doing here? Mm-hmm. What what in the in Acts, you know, in, in Luke's gospel, John is in anger and in hatred, and he's saying, "May fire come down from heaven." And what he means is, and consume them out of hatred. And now, on the other side of the resurrection, under this different banner. You have John laying hands on the Samaritans, and he's calling down fire from heaven. But it's a whole different kind of fire. Right? It's the fire of the Spirit that's going to consume them in love and bring them into brotherhood. And the Samaritan town is set on fire and revival. And that has to be – when we talk about racial reconciliation – it's hard. It's troubling. There's going to be times where you're rejected, where it's uncomfortable to go into Samaria. There may, may be a town that rejects you, but what does Jesus do? He will not let you resent that town. Right. He will rebuke you if it drives you further into your, your racism or your discrim- you know, whatever, your hostility. Sure. And you will, he calls you to press on. Press on to the next town. Keep investing. Keep pouring in. Never, ever, ever allow hatred to get root in you if you are a a son or daughter of the king. And here's the deal. The only thing, the only thing that is going to heal this wound is the power of the gospel working through the spirit that calls upon his people to treasure Jesus's desires which is that the Samaritans would be welcomed in and valued and treasured and that they would know that they are sons and daughters of the king every bit as much as the Jews are. And to have that heart to where his desires are more precious than mine. Mm -hmm. And his desires are that every tribe and every tongue, every nation would be part of this kingdom of God, equal sons and daughters in our inheritance that's his desire. And so we got, you know, I'm speaking, of course, to, to people who look like me. We have got to get a lot better at not traveling around Samaria and not avoiding the difficult call to love our brothers. 
Right. We have to. That's the that's the lesson of Jonah, right? If Jonah had followed through on God's command, if Jonah had 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 followed through, like, okay, he went and preached that seven word, you know, repent, and mm-hmm. they did, and then he left it undone. And that's the I think that's the other word here <laughs> is that we see that that in the New Testament and in in you know in Jesus's command to Peter and John, they didn't leave it undone. They finished the job. They went. Mm-hmm. They went there. And they didn't turn away. And I think that, um, you know, way too many times, I think, in life, we're, we're Jonah instead of Peter and John. You know, we, yeah. we're, we're, we're just not really happy with what God tells us to do. And so we just kind of, we just kind of throw it out there and then we walk away from it and, and we're done. And it's like, you know, we've got to finish God's call. We've got to finish God's plan. Um, you know, when he tells us to go, we have to go and we have to go all the way. You know, we can't turn away when we think we've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. We have got to love each other better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll let that stand as our last word on uh, part one of reconciliation. We have uh, part two coming up where we'll be back in this story because there's a whole lot more to the story of the woman at the well and her conversation with Jesus and what takes place with that whole town there. Um, There's... You know, there's there's more to get to that that I think, in a sense, I mean, you know, we've Sam, we've been talking really at this sort of uh, the 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 people group level, the Jews and the Samaritans level, the macro mm-hmm. level. But there's also a story of individual redemption here that is really beautiful and speaks to each of us as individuals. So even as we felt this passage instructing us as people today as God's people and how we move as a people. Um, I also think that there's a lot to talk about next week when we get into the subject of of God, of Jesus's individual redemption of this woman, mm-hmm. uh, because we, in, in some sense, we're all that woman at the well. <laughs> you know, it's like true story, you know, true so, story. So we, you know, and I think there's something when you, when you say that, you know, the way that the, the New Testament talks about us, you know, we were all enemies of mm-hmm. the Lord. And in spite of the fact that we were his enemies, he died for us. Yeah. And so there's no room for pride at the foot of the cross. Well, we hope that you'll be looking forward to that for next week and that you'll come back and join us then. Um, if in the meantime you'd like to correspond with us, we have an email address, outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's riovistachurch.com. You can also find uh, all of the back episodes of Out of Water on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, or again at our website at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. And so we'll be back with part two of Reconciliation next week. We look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.